So the Imitation of Christ, this new series that we're jumping into, we're going to be talking about how can we live as Jesus lived, right? Our theme passage, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's a pretty bold statement, right? We hear that and we go, wait, for real? Anyone who claims to live in him, meaning to be clothed with Christ, to be in Jesus, to be a Christian, you must live as Jesus lived. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Today, what we're going to talk about specifically in our series of the imitation of Christ is the mind of Christ. So over the series of this imitation of Christ, we're going to talk about different aspects of Jesus and how he lived and who he was. And today we're going to focus in on the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So Paul here is quoting Isaiah chapter 64. He says that the things that Isaiah talked about, that no one could understand, that no one would be able to perceive these prophecies of the coming Messiah. He says, guess what? God revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. I don't know what the deep things of God are, but apparently they're pretty deep. He says, verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is a powerful passage where Paul says something crazily outlandish. He says, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you have the Spirit of God, he says, you have the mind of Christ. He says that the Spirit of God enables you to know the deep things of God. He enables you to know God. And he says that those that don't have the Spirit, these kinds of things just sound like foolishness. Have you ever sat down with somebody and opened up the Bible and started talking about Jesus and talking about following him and talking about principles like lordship, one Lord, or maybe things like one baptism, or maybe things like one hope or one body, and it just seems like foolishness to someone. Paul here says it's the Holy Spirit 
that enables us to discern. He says, who can know the thoughts of a person except for that, that person's spirit? Basically, nobody knows what you're thinking but you. He says the same with God. Only God's spirit knows the thoughts of God. He says, but we have received the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. What has God freely given us? That's exactly what Aaron was just sharing about a few moments ago. God has given us redemption and forgiveness. He has loved us even though we don't deserve it. The spirit of God is the one that enables us to even understand that at all. Even in our limited way that we understand it currently. We don't understand God's love completely. Paul prayed for one of the churches that he wrote to. He said, I pray that your depth of knowledge and insight may grow. And how deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our, our understanding of God's love for us in Jesus is constantly growing. It's getting wider. It's getting longer. It's getting broader. It's getting deeper. Why? Because of that road rage I had yesterday. The more we sin, the more we realize how deep and high and wide is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But it's the Spirit of God that enables us to do that. When's the last time that you thanked the Holy Spirit for enabling you to understand God's love? Even to the limited degree that you do and that I do, when was the last time we thanked Him? That's his job, his business. It's not our intellect. It's not our mind that knows the mind of God. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us. So what does that tell our friends who do not have the Holy Spirit? They can't understand God. When's the last time you prayed for the Holy Spirit to help your friend be able to understand God's love for them? Let's pray as we're studying the Bible with people, as we're making disciples that it's not our cunning, it's not our craftiness, it's not our, our human wisdom or our expertise of using rhetoric or the English language. It's God's Spirit that enables people to go, wow, light bulb, God loves me so much that he paid everything, so I'm going to give everything in return. That's not done by us. He goes on and he says, the person with the Spirit... Verse 15, the person with the Holy Spirit makes judgments about all things. Uh-uh, no, Paul didn't. You can't judge me. Why are you judging me, bro? Paul said that you're to make judgments about all things. Obviously, there are right judgments biblically and wrong judgments biblically, but there's no such things biblically as no judgments. Don't judge me. Where did you read that? That's a hypersensitivity to our millennial culture saying, don't make me feel bad. Don't hurt my feelings. Don't judge me. Well, you can try to protect your feelings if you want, but the Bible I read says every one of us is going to face judgment. And we're going to face judgment from the only person that can actually judge us justly. I don't know about you, but I'm more afraid of that judgment than any judgment that you're going to pass on me. Paul says that the Holy Spirit enables us to make judgments about all things, to be discerning. 
to be wise, to be prudent. I look at people's lives in the world who are at my stage in life and even much further, and I see a lack of wisdom. There's so much pain, there's so much brokenness. People getting divorced in their 60s and 70s, splitting families, damaging generations of people of which many of us, me included, are recipients of. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to have the mind of Christ to make discerning, wise choices in this life. It's not us. I'm not doing anything special. It's the Holy Spirit who is enabling me to understand the mind of God who says, I know how to live this life best. I know how life can go best with you. Just as Aaron said, not free of difficulty, but free of darkness. It's the mind of Christ that enables us to do this. And Christians, we have the mind of Christ. That's crazy. Think about that for a minute. Jesus, who the Hebrew writer says was an exact representation of God. An exact representation. A physical copy of God on the earth. He says, you have his mind. But oftentimes we quench the spirit. We disobey the spirit. We don't trust the spirit. We go on our own thinking, our own wisdom, our own pride. We don't submit to his spirit. We don't submit to the teachings of his word. And so we don't make discerning judgments. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul says that we can be renewed in the attitude of our minds by what? Being transformed, not holding on to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by a renewing of our mind so that we can test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. To know what God's will is, our minds have to be transformed. What do you think that transforming is coming from? It's coming from the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one that transforms and renews our minds. It's not us just trying to will it into existence. Yeah. It's not us sitting in a room going, transform mind, transform mind, transform mind. No, it's the Holy Spirit doing it as we seek God, as we read His Scriptures, as we partake in the fellowship of His body, as we follow Jesus. Jesus' Spirit transforms our thinking. Is your thinking being transformed? Or as you look back over the last year, two years, 20 years of following Jesus, transformation is really not that evident. Are you quenching the spirit or do you have him at all? Romans 15, let's turn there. The mind of Christ. Just a couple pages before this letter that we were just reading. In Romans 15, we're going to start at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay, the imitation of Christ. As you read the Gospels, does it seem that Jesus bore with the failings of the weak and did not do it to please himself? Is that what you see Jesus doing in the Gospels? That's what I see Jesus doing. Who were the weak? Every other human being besides himself. <laughs> And yet he was weak also. Not weak in the way that we typically think of weak. We think of weak as sin. 
Jesus had no sin, the Hebrew writer said, but yet could understand our temptations. He was a human being who had physical limitations. He couldn't be everywhere at one time. He could only exist through rest and sleep and food and every other part of normal human being life. And yet he never sinned. But he knew what it was like to be weak, to be frail, to be fragile, to have limitations. And this from the one who was with God from eternity, who left strength, who left omniscience, who left omnipresence and got boxed into a human life and gave up power, which we'll get to in just a moment. But here he says, we who are strong, the context is Christians who have strong faith should bear with other Christians who have weak faith and we should do that not to please ourselves. But each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Wow, there's a countercultural American message right there. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past, referring to the Old Testament, was written to teach us as Christians so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. When was the last time you read the Old Testament and you thought, man, I am filled with endurance and encouragement? A lot of times we read the Old Testament and we're like, oh, what is this? Paul saying, listen. The Holy Scriptures, what was written in the past was written to teach us, to give us perseverance, to give us endurance. Apparently, we must need some endurance. We must need some perseverance. 80, 90 years in this life, it seems like a long time to us, doesn't it? Man, we need some perseverance. Anybody can follow Jesus really happily for a day. Try it for a decade or for five decades. We, it takes some endurance. So that they might provide hope. He says in verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice you might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring you praise to God. Paul just slapped the entire church in the face. He says that our relationship with each other, church, were to have the same attitude towards one another as Jesus did with us. That means if you've got a problem with someone here, you do not have the attitude of Jesus. And Paul is telling you to repent and do it quickly. Paul says there's not to be anything that divides us because we are supposed to have the attitude of Jesus. Who didn't look to his own interests but looked to the interests of others. That means if we're harboring bitterness or some feelings of hatred or discord or jealousy or just, I don't really like that person. You don't have the mind of Christ. And we need to repent. So that with one mind and with one voice, we can praise God. Amen. 
What does that infer? That is you try to praise God at home or out there or in your car away from us and you got problems. It's not praise. You're not praising God. We cannot praise God individually if we can't praise God collectively because we don't have the attitude of Jesus with one another. So if there's bitterness, any kind of salty feelings, don't come back to church again without getting it resolved. Amen. Don't do it because your praise is in vain. This is intense to imitate Jesus, to imitate his attitude with each other. That's hard to do because we're not Jesus to each other. Jesus has loved us perfectly. We love each other imperfectly. Jesus put up with all of my junk patiently. We're not patient with each other. So guess what? We got to have buckets and buckets of grace with each other and forgiveness. And we've got to seek and value and prioritize reconciliation with each other. We can't accept this sort of humdrum American Christian idea of I came to church, felt good, therefore I'm close to God, but I don't want to talk to at least a dozen people in that building. Amen. You know, I talked to the Triangle Church who are about 800 in number on Sunday, and I said in a room this size, I've been through it too many times. We know which door to come in and which door to go out to avoid just the people we want to avoid. And we think that we're worshiping God. And God says, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Amen. Jesus loves us perfectly. And he accepts us just as we are. He expects us to change and repent, just like Aaron said, just like John 8. Jesus said to the adulterous woman, oh, that's fine. No problem. Go back to what you were doing. No, that's the world's vision of Jesus. Jesus is my get out of hell genie in my back pocket who demands nothing from me, but I get what I want from him. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible says, I love you just where you're at, right there on the floor, naked, being condemned, persecuted, and hated on. I love you. But I'm calling you to change. Amen. I'm calling you to follow me. Leave what got you here. And let me give you new life. Amen. That's what we're to do with each other. To accept each other where we're at. To love each other. Let me define accept. Accept I'm using as love. We're loving one another where we're at. The context here is those that have strong faith and weak faith. Some people believe they can eat any kind of meat they want. Whether it was on some particular stone in some sort of temple being slaughtered by some kind of priest, it's still all good. Some people thought that can't be right because it was food sacrificed to some false god. And if I eat it, God, he says, listen, if you have strong faith to be able to do that, you need to bear with those that don't. And he says, even if I have to never eat meat again, I won't do it because I love my brother. I'm willing to forego. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to lay down my strong faith for what's good for someone else, just like Jesus did. I remember I was in a Bible study once long ago. And there was another brother in this Bible study with me as we were trying to make a disciple out of another young man. We're trying to teach him the scriptures. 
And this other younger man was not well learned. He wasn't highly literate. And so I chose a Bible version that I thought would be better suited for his reading ability. And this other brother thought that that was disunified and that we needed to have the same version to be able to teach him the Bible. And he had a very strong conviction that we could only use one particular version of the Bible. And my faith believed that that was not true. And his did not. And my strong faith did not submit to his faith. And it became a contention. And it became a problem. And it damaged him. When in my mind I thought, I know that all these translations are reliable. They're all the word of God. So let's give it to, so, to, to somebody in a way that's going to be most effective. And then I read Romans 15 that same week. And I thought, I just got slapped in the face. I went back to that brother and I humbly apologized. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm willing to use whatever version you think is best. And that other guy did actually become a disciple, still faithful to this day. Amen. Which I'm grateful for. But it was a great learning experience to me. That just because I think I'm right doesn't mean that I should force it upon someone else. Paul says, even if I am right. That's what it means to bear with one another, to accept one another, to be willing to do as Jesus did and lay down our lives for each other. Philippians chapter 2. The mind of Christ. As we look to imitate Jesus, by the way, if you didn't know, we're gathering here this morning because we all want to try to imitate Jesus. If you're looking to imitate someone else, then you're in the wrong building. You came to the wrong meeting. Sorry, there might be some other ones of those going on around town. But here we're trying to imitate Jesus, and this is why. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, in verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, His sarcasm is reeking through these lines. <laughs> If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, well, I don't know, Paul. Should I feel any encouragement about being united with Jesus? Hmm. If you feel any comfort from his love, I don't know, Paul. Am I supposed to feel any comfort from Jesus' love? He's like, of course you feel these things. So then, verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded with each other. And having the same love towards one another, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, here we go. Buckle up. You ready? This is the mindset that Christ Jesus had. Who being in very nature God, or in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found... In appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. It goes on, of course, God exalts Jesus because of this. Paul says to the churches in Philippi, he says, guess what, guys? In your relationships with each other, in your dealings with each other, you need to have the same attitude and the same mindset that Jesus had. What attitude did Jesus have? I'm God. But I'm not going to consider my equality with God anything to be used for my advantage. How did he do that? Oh, I don't know. Think about the garden moment. He gets up and he says, rise, here come my betrayers. Let us go. Peter says, heck no, nah, Joker. I'm finna swing on some people. I'm not going down without a fight. He says, put your sword back in its place. For all who live by the sword will die by the sword. I know in Asheville it's not quite typical for someone of this complexity to speak in such ways. But I will try to bear with everyone. Um, I got to remember where I'm at. That's right. Okay, I'm in, I'm in Asheville now. Got it. Okay, I'm not in Triangle anymore. Columbia, got it. Okay, Asheville. Jesus said, Peter, put your sword back in his place. We do not need any of that hostility. He says, He says, That's <laughs> yeah, the gift of tongues over here. Um, Jesus says, I have the resources to call upon my Father, who will at once dispose 12 legions of angels. I'm not powerless in this situation. He had a quality with God. He specifically tells his disciples in a moment of great weakness, in a moment of great vulnerability, he says, I have power here, but I choose not to use it because I love you. Judas, friend, I love you. Roman, guards, centurions, I love you too. Pilate, who says, don't you understand a chapter or two later that I have the power to free you? He says, you have no power over me except what's given to you by my father. I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. Paul says, with each other, that should be our attitude. Our attitude should be the same as Jesus, that we willingly lay down ourselves for the other. And there are some great examples of that throughout the church. Some great ways that people lay down their life in very visible, practical, tangible, real ways. And to that, I believe the Holy Spirit says hallelujah and amen. amen. But there are others in here that have bitterness and resentment and we're harboring things that we haven't let go of. And maybe we know about them and maybe we don't. I want to encourage you through the power of the Holy Spirit to pray, God, sift my heart. Reveal to me any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting just as David prayed in Psalm 139. Please, let's get right with one another. Our worship of God is in vain otherwise. This is where we're going as a church. We're going to be united. I don't care if there's two of us or 2,000 of us. We've got to prioritize being united in mind and in heart. That doesn't mean we all agree. 
It doesn't mean we have all the same convictions about everything. It doesn't mean that we have the same faith on every issue. It means that we're humble with one another. It means that we have the same mindset as Jesus. We don't take equality to use it for our own advantage. We don't say, well, that brother gets to do that. Well, that sister gets to get up there and play her guitar and sound all awesome. We don't look to equality for our own advantage. We look to be humble with each other. Well, how come that brother gets to be in that Bible study? Or how come this sister gets to do that thing? How come Barry gets to stand up and pray when he's not even in this church? <laughs> you know, Satan is prowling around yes. like a roaring lion. As we step back, he can use the dumbest things to trip us up. And many times, the way that Satan trips us up is with each other. Sometimes we get mad at God. Sometimes we don't understand what he's doing. Sometimes a young child dies and we struggle to understand. Sometimes our loved one dies out of nowhere and we go, God, why? But you know what I find is our problem most of the time? It's each other. No, that brother did not do that. He got up there and sang off key. How did that brother start that song in that key? He just ruined my whole communion moment. No, he did not. One of my favorite songs, he went and butchered it. Now I got an attitude. I can't even remember Jesus. All I can remember is Jesus. I'm just teasing. I'm using it by way of example. It's not real. I do love that song, but I really don't care what key it's sung in. But I use this as a, as a bit of a humorous example of how we can get tripped up by things that are really so insignificant, so meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Our relationships with one another are to have the attitude of Christ. Let's end here in Matthew chapter 5. As we talk about the imitation of Jesus, we're talking about the mind of Christ. What was Jesus' mind? We're going to spend the rest of our lives plumbing that depth. So I just want to skim the surface a little bit today. Here's an example of us seeing what Jesus' mind was on some particular things. Matthew 5, in verse 23. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there at the altar, remember that your brother or sister has something against you? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus' mind about worshiping God the Father. Let's give a little context here, right? How many of you have ever traveled to Jerusalem? How many of you have ever traveled to Jerusalem to sacrifice animals to Yahweh? Okay. This was Jesus' audience. He says, when you get to Jerusalem, for most of his hearers, they would have had to travel to Jerusalem. It would have been more than my eight-hour car ride yesterday. He says, if you go all the way to Jerusalem on your pilgrimage, which every Jew was required by the law of Moses to do once a year, if you go to Jerusalem to present your sacrifice to God, to be reconciled to God, 
to continue being a part of God's covenant people. And at the altar, you're giving your lamb to that Levite priest who's getting ready to cut its throat to signify the blood that you should spill, but God has grace on you and allows your sin to be atoned into this animal. And it's there at that moment after this great trip, spending lots of money, bringing your whole family, maybe have spent days and days on the road just to get there. At that moment, you realize somebody has something against you. He says, you need to leave. He says, don't even worship God. He says, go back home. Travel three more days where you came from. Go get right. Then come and deal with your sacrifice to God. Mm. Wow. And inherent in that is a sacrifice and atonement for sin. What's Jesus implying? Your sacrifice of this animal for your sin's atonement are nullified unless you're reconciled. He links reconciliation with other people to reconciliation with God through the law of Moses and the sacrificial, the animal sacrifice system that they had at that time. And Jesus, the mind of Jesus says it's more important for you to be reconciled with each other than any other thing of worship towards God that you can do. We don't sacrifice animals now, but what do we do? Come to church. We sing. We open our Bibles. We pray. We try to do nice things to other people. Jesus says, stop all of that. Go get reconciled. Then come back and worship God. We can't properly worship God with the mind of Christ if we know that we have problems with other people. So we need to really prioritize. Take it very seriously. Jesus puts the highest premium on being reconciled to each other in our worship to God. I can't even harbor an attitude about the person that I thought treated me very poorly on the road yesterday. I had to forgive that person in my heart before I came here. Was I justified in being angry? Depends on what mind you're thinking with. The mind of Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather laid down his life to even death on a cross. Let's pray together. God, imitating Jesus is so serious and so difficult. Imitating Jesus reveals to us how unlike him we are in so many ways. And yet, God, you're gracious with us. And we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful that even in the midst of our imperfect imitation of your son, you love us perfectly. Thank you that your patience is meant to lead us towards repentance. We pray, God, that your patience would not fall on deaf ears or hardened hearts or dull minds, but that it would really cause us, as it did for that woman caught in the act of adultery, that it would lead us to radical change, to radical repentance, to leaving our life of sin in whatever shape and form that takes. Because we know that the life that you have for us in Jesus is so much better. We find ourselves naked and in the dirt and accused and oppressed and even on the steps of death itself. And you invite us to life that is truly life. Life of wisdom 
and prudence and freedom and joy and peace and reconciliation and love. Help us to be a community here, Father, in this church that has the mind of Christ through the power of your spirit. And may this community continue to envelop the community around us, that your kingdom may spread, that more and more people may live by the mind of Jesus, and that we can see you praised and glorified as you deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.